listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. And now a reading from Acts. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was a Levite from Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but to God. Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard of it. The young men came and wrapped up his body, then carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, Tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and died. When the young man came in and found her dead, So they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these things. The word of the God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. And thank you, JW, for that reading. So inspirational, right? (laughs) So this is a fun story. Um, (laughs) I got a picture up on the slides from the children's Bible version uh, of this one. Just kidding. Uh, This is not a story for kids. Um, Originally, actually, in my uh, preaching outline for Acts, we were going to do this passage next week when the kids are in the service. Um, But I like looked. I looked over things a couple weeks ago, and I was like, "That that's probably not a good call." So I uh, switched it. Uh, Our passage starts out innocently enough. We get this description of the early church, which is similar to what we've already seen a few times in the Book of Acts. Everything's kumbaya, basically. The Christians are of one heart and soul, sharing their possessions, pooling their resources, distributing to each according to their need. 
Then one day, a man named Barnabas, who we're going to learn a lot about over the course of the book of Acts, uh, Barnabas sells some land, and he gives the money from the sale to the apostles so they can distribute it to the poor. But that's when the story takes a bit of a turn. We meet a husband and wife team named Ananias and Sapphira, who also sell some land. They're part of this early Christian community. Ananias and Sapphira are Christians. They sold a field that belonged to them, and they bring the money to the apostles to be distributed to the poor, just like Barnabas, only they lie about the value of their property. Ananias and Sapphira hold back some of the profits for themselves, so God kills them. There's no punchline. That's the story. <laughs> like that's, that's it. God strikes them dead. Ananias brings the money to the apostles. He lays it at their feet. Peter calls them out for the lie, and Ananias just drops dead on the spot. Luckily, there are some young men in the room who know how to dispose of a body. I would love some more details about that uh, piece, by the way. Uh, so they wrap him up, carry him out, and bury him. Then three hours later, his wife Sapphira comes in, no clue what just happened to her husband, and Peter's like, how much did you say you got for that land? She lies to Peter, and then she dies too. The end. I'm curious, how many of us have heard this story before? We're familiar with Ananias and Sapphira. All right, that's, that's a little less than half of us, which is exciting. Uh, I assume that means the rest of us are probably hearing this one for the very first time, which makes sense, honestly. Uh, this is a story that does not get a lot of airplay in the church. Um, some pastors will actually preach on this story uh, during stewardship drives, which I think is a bold choice. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's too bad our stewardship drive ended in January, you know? Darn. Um, but yeah, we don't, we don't talk about this one very often because it's terrible. This is not a nice story. And it's not a very good look for God either. Uh, I like to bring this story up whenever I meet someone who complains about the God of the Old Testament being too harsh. You know, so, someone who's like, I don't like the God of the Old Testament, all hellfire and brimstone. I prefer the God of the New Testament, who is loving and forgiving. That's when I'll point to this story, where the God of the New Testament straight up murders two people for fraud. We've got a, a former president who was just found guilty of fraud, right? Um, the, the timing, honestly, couldn't be better. Um, for lying about property values, no less. Um, in that case, he's having to pay out hundreds of millions of dollars in penalties. In the New Testament, though, death, apparently, which is harsh. That's really harsh. This is a tough story. There's not a lot of grace in this one that I can find. Uh, normally with stories like these, there's usually some context I can point to to kind of like soften it a bit. You know, like we'll look at the Hebrew or the Greek and find that like it's not, it's not really so bad once you pull back the layers. I can't do that with this one. This story is just as bad as it sounds. Two Christians lie about the value of their property. They, they play off like they're all righteous, bringing this offering to the poor, and God kills them because they kept some of it. That's the story. If there's any grace to be found in this one, it comes from comparing this story 
with another story in the Bible that is eerily similar to it. For that, though, we got to go to the Old Testament. Sorry to all you people that don't like the Old Testament, God. We're going there. Um, the authors of the New Testament do this thing where they're always pointing us back to the Old Testament. Um, this, this is pretty common. In the Old Testament, Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, the law. You, you know, we know this story, Moses on top of Mount Sinai. Then in the New Testament, Jesus goes to the top of another mountain to deliver the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' take on the law. See that connection? In the Old Testament, God's people, the Israelites, are always fleeing to Egypt. Happens like five or six times just in the book of Genesis alone. There's usually a famine, and the Israelites will flee to Egypt until finally God calls them out of Egypt. And then the New Testament... We get this famous story, it's part of the Christmas uh, story, where Jesus and his family flee to Egypt to escape King Herod until God calls them out. It's another parallel story. Israel was a nation of 12 tribes. Jesus calls 12 disciples. Isaiah fasted in the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus fasted in the wilderness for 40 days. There's all these parallels where the New Testament authors are directing our t attention back to the Old Testament. We've even seen this in Acts. There was that story where the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, little tongues of fire appear over people's heads. We looked at that like a month ago. And uh, Peter stands up and preaches this sermon on Joel. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, which is an Old Testament reference in the New Testament. It's so meta, you guys. The same thing is going on in the story of Ananias and Sapphira this power couple that brings an offering that is rejected. There is another story from the Old Testament about two people who bring an offering that is rejected and they die. Does anyone know what story I'm talking about? Can anyone think of it or remember it? Cain and Abel is similar in some ways, but, but that's not the one I'm thinking of. Uh, it's from the book of Leviticus. I preached on it like two years ago, so nerd points for you if you remember. It's the story of Nadab and Abihu. Does anyone remember Nadab and Abihu? Nobody. This is great. This is perfect. <clears throat> it's one of your favorites? Oh, awesome, because you're cause, you know, retired pastor, so of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see if this <clears throat> brings, brings back any memories. Nadab and Abihu were sons of Aaron, the, the first high priest of Israel. Uh, Moses was their uncle, so there's, there's some nepotism going on here. Uh, after the Israelites escape from Egypt, they build this big tent called the Tabernacle. It's sort of like a mobile temple. Uh, they're traveling through the wilderness, so they need a temple that they can just kind of pick up and move. And there's this story in Leviticus chapter 10 about the very first time the Israelites go to worship at the Tabernacle. Aaron the high priest anoints his sons, Nadab and Abihu, as priests. They take the incense into the tabernacle to burn as an offering to God. There's all this pomp and circumstance. The whole nation, the whole assembly is there watching this. The only problem is Nadab and Abihu do it wrong, so God kills them. I don't know why I'm smiling. Uh, a, fire, <laughs> a fire from heaven comes, out, comes down from the sky and consumes Nadab and Abihu. Is this coming back to us at all? Do we even remember this? Vague? A couple of you are, are nodding. It's a wild story. And the most frustrating 
part for me is the book of Leviticus doesn't tell us what they did wrong. Like, there's, there's no explanation. There's no details. It says that they offered a strange fire. They, they screwed up the incense in some way, and so God kills them. One theory out there is that Nadab and Abihu were drunk. Um, I like that theory. It's, um, <laughs> the idea is that they, they got a little too deep into the ceremonial wine. Um, and as we are reminded, inevitably every year on July 4th, alcohol and explosives don't mix. So like there's, there's a chance these two just blew themselves up. Um, I like that implication because the uh, slapstick potential is through the roof. <laughs> like, like if you just imagine what Monty Python could do with Nadab and Abihu, it's, it's incredible. Um, comic gold. But we really don't know. We don't know what happened. They presented their offering in the wrong way, and God killed them. The author of Acts is channeling Nadab and Abihu in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. The author of Acts is channeling it hard, and the parallels are undeniable. Just to look at some of the similarities between these two stories. Both stories take place in the early days of God's work with the people. They're both origin stories uh, of sorts. Nadab and Abihu were offering incense for the very first time, so like early days of Israel, and Ananias and Sapphira are bringing their offering in the early days of the church. Both stories are about an offering that's rejected, incense from Nadab and Abihu and money from Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, both stories are about relatives who screw up. In the Old Testament case, it's a husband and wife team. Or sorry, in the Old Testament case, it's brothers. And in the New Testament case, it's a husband and wife. So that's progress, at least on the gender front, right? Why, why should God only kill men for doing it wrong? Um, kidding, kidding. Uh, sorry. Bad pastor. Um, there's, there's similar language in the story about what happens to the offering. There is um, a conversion of substances. Nadab and Abihu convert incense into fire. Ananias and Sapphira convert their land into money. Very similar language there. Uh, in both stories, the two people bringing the offering are struck dead suddenly and mysteriously by God. In both stories, the bodies are wrapped up and carried out by young men who then bury them. And in both stories, the community is struck by fear. Why all these parallels between Nadab and Abihu and Ananias and Sapphira? Why is the author of Acts channeling this terrible story from Leviticus? What are they trying to say? I think there's a lot of implications from reading these two stories together. The first one I want to highlight, though, is that care for the poor is just as important as ritual purity and worship. Care for the poor is just as important as ritual purity in worship. In the story of Ananias and Sapphira, we're seeing an elevation of charity, an elevation of care for the poor. The storyteller is trying to tell us that how we treat the least of these matters just as much to God, if not more so, than our ritual purity in this place. I think a lot of times as Christians, we read the Bible, and, and we think these people are kind of nuts. Right? Like, like we, don't, we don't really get it. 
Um, the religious leaders in the Bible are so worried about purity, so focused on rules and regulations, doing every little step exactly right. Why are the high priests so uptight? Why are the Pharisees criticizing Jesus and his disciples for, for not washing their hands correctly or, or plucking grain on the Sabbath, healing someone in a synagogue? Why all this focus on rules and purity? They're focused on purity because at the core of their faith, in their origin story, is this tale of two brothers who did it wrong and died. Nadab and Abihu didn't burn the incense right, and God killed them. Of course the Pharisees are worried about washing their hands the right way. Wouldn't you be? Do you want to get blown up? The author of Acts tells an almost identical story about this couple who sell some land, give the money to the poor, but lie about it, and God kills them just like Nadab and Abihu. The message is that care for the poor matters just as much as your ritual purity. We had better spend as much time, energy, and resources caring for the poor as we do worshiping God. Think about all the stuff we do as Christians that's supposed to bring honor and glory to God. All that time and energy coming to church, showing up, worshiping, singing praises, Think about all the hours spent in prayer, reflection, Bible study, all that energy, all the resources devoted to what happens in this place. We'd better put just as much time, energy, and resources into how we treat the poor. That is the new measure. The pocket change you give to a homeless person on the street should be treated with as much awe and reverence as any offering you bring in here. Probably more so. How we treat the poor is the new litmus test for how we honor God. That's what this story is trying to say. Are we tracking with this so far? All right, that's the first implication. <clears throat> Another implication, when we neglect the poor, it is an affront to God's holiness. When we neglect the poor, it's an affront to God's holiness. Nadab and Abihu were killed, ultimately, for offending God's holiness. Whatever they did, um, whatever it is they screwed up at the tabernacle, it made God look less holy than God actually is, and God takes that seriously. In the same way, when we neglect the poor, we are detracting from the holiness of God. When we fail to recognize the image of God in a homeless person, uh, a refugee, a single mom, a friend who's in trouble. When we fail to recognize God's image in an enemy, when we marginalize image bearers of God, we are taking away from God's holiness, and God takes that personally. When people go hungry, when children go hungry in America, the richest country in the world, a country that many consider to be a Christian nation, that is an affront to God's holiness. If this was really a Christian country, uh, if we were really concerned with upholding the holiness of God, we wouldn't be wasting time policing women's bodies 
um, trying to put prayer in schools or the Ten Commandments in courtrooms. We wouldn't be uh, bullying trans kids or trying to impose our beliefs on other people. We certainly wouldn't be scapegoating immigrants and refugees. If we wanted to honor God as a nation, we would feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and give housing to the homeless. That is how you do it. That is how you honor God. If you want like a, a Christian political agenda, there you go. That's the good stuff. Amen. God takes God's holiness very seriously. We need to do the same if we consider ourselves God's people. One more implication I want to highlight. But this one's more theological. It has to do with how we understand God, the identity of God. The story of Ananias and Sapphira, as, as harsh as it is, as tough as it is, It's an important reminder that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change over time. God doesn't evolve. God doesn't need to. Our understanding of God has evolved. Um, I would argue that Christians have a clearer picture of God now because we've seen God's character in Christ. But God hasn't changed. God hasn't evolved. God didn't soften from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Same God. This should be both comforting to us and a little terrifying. On the one hand, since God doesn't change, that means God's love for us never changes. God's love can't change. God's love never runs out. It never fades. It never goes away. God never stops pursuing us courting us, correcting us when we've gone astray. God's love is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that is amazing. But so is God's justice. God is holy. God is powerful. God is dangerous. God takes it seriously when we mishandle God's holiness. The Bible paints us a picture of a God who is complicated, a God who has very intense emotions. God loves deeply, forgives fully. God gets God's feelings hurt. God gets angry, especially when the marginalized are overlooked. God upholds justice and God dispenses punishment. But God is also slow to anger, rich in mercy, and abounding in steadfast love. That should be a source of incredible comfort to us. But it should also make us pee our pants just a tiny bit. Let's pray. God, it feels weird to thank you for a story as harsh as this one. Nevertheless, we thank you for stories like these that offend us, confuse us, and hopefully jar us from complacency. God, don't let our religion follow in the footsteps of Nadab and Abihu, Ananias and Sapphira, those who made a mockery of you by elevating their own righteousness and neglecting the poor. But God, help us to always honor your holiness by caring for the least. Amen.